Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. I am so glad that you came to church on Spring Break Sunday. Dozens and dozens of you came to church. How cool is that? Yeah. Just think, right now, some of your church member friends are sitting, waiting in line to still wait for breakfast at Seaside. (laughs) And they're watching on their phone right now, and they're thinking, I could be sitting in a nice, cool worship center, and afterwards, going to have a nice, easy lunch. But I'm with my three high schoolers, and they all brought friends with them. And this is what they call a vacation. So if that's you, in love. Hey, inside of your handout this morning are these little cards, and it's an invite. So there's three or four, I think, in each handout, and there's more in the back. But uh, it's an invite for you to uh, share with friends, family, coworkers, et cetera. It's just an invite, all that's going on around here uh, at Holy Week. And so it starts next Sunday with Palm Sunday. And then on Monday, Thursday, on the 13th, that's the Thursday before Good Friday, uh, this will be our third year that we've done a guided online communion service. So wherever you're at, like you're traveling, you're in a hotel or in families' homes or at your home or at the park or wherever you're at that Thursday night, all you need is bread and juice of any kind. And uh, literally just go online, go to uh, live.sugarhill.church. You can see it on the app. Uh, You can see it on Facebook. And and just join us on your phone, tablet, computer, TV, wherever you're at. And we're going to walk you through a a time of family communion. It's it's about 10 minutes maybe. And uh, it's really such a cool thing. Every year. Literally thousands of people join us online, and I want to invite you to be a part of that as well. And if you're wondering, well, what do I really need? Bread? You say, well, what kind of bread? The kind you eat. And then juice, the kind you drink. And then for those of you perfectionists, you can go with unleavened bread that this is the only time you'll eat it, or you can go with like Wonder Bread, whatever works for you, okay? So just bread, okay? Uh, And then on the juice side, you can go for like a uh, very expensive bottle of Pinot Noir, or, well, not for the kids, but for you, uh, if you're that kind of, well, I know you are. And so... Or you can get Welch's grape juice, and you, you, you and the kids can do the juice, which, which is cool, right? And, but anywhere. And if you say, well, I don't have Welch's grape juice. All I got is like purple Gatorade. Go with it, all right? The, the idea is to join us in remembering Jesus. The idea is not captivated in the elements. It's a captivated in Jesus. And then on Good Friday, on the back it has all this laid out, but on Good Friday we'll gather at 7 p.m. here. And I am so excited about that worship gathering. And then on Easter Sunday morning um, at 7 a.m. across the street in the bowl, we'll have an outdoor uh, sunrise service. And uh, if you haven't been there since the city, I mean, our city is just killing it, y'all. They're doing such a good job. And uh, sit in the bowl with us at 7 a.m. It'll be a 50-minute sunrise service. And uh, watch the sun come up and sing about the Lord. Go eat some breakfast. You can come back to one of the other services if you want to. 8, 9.30, and 11 in this room. And then at 11 o'clock, a Spanish service over in the chapel. We're expecting about 3,500 people here on Easter Sunday. So you come on and be a part of all this going on that week. Really hope you will. Uh, Ushers, you guys come on. Let's take up an offering. Uh, Since everybody's at the beach and you're watching on your phone, hit that button that says give right now. 
these people can't pick up all your slack while you're getting to spend like 100 bucks on dinner at Red Bar tonight. So come on and, and help us out. We, uh, we have so much going on, including on your way out today, there uh, it's a table with bags on it with specific items that our Gwinnett co-op needs help with. Uh, now, it's not really a clean out your pantry week. It's, those are some specific items. And if you'd grab a bag or six, that'd be awesome, and fill them up and bring them back over the next week or so, that would really be, uh, that would be really great. And thank you for, for those of you who give online and just faithfully support the work of Sugar Hill Church. You know, we've got a few dozen uh, high schoolers uh, going to uh, Polly's Island this week. They leave in the morning, and they're going to go serve all week long at a uh, ministry called Teach My People. And I'm so excited that our kids would be willing to do that. And then we're just helping so many people. Uh, it, you can't imagine with spring break how many families that we have sent food to that normally get backpacks. And so uh, thank you for all you do. Lord, we love you. Thank you for folks that are new around here and folks that have been here forever. Thank you that this is your day and we've come to rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you that you will multiply these gifts in the basket in the bank for your glory and your kingdom and for your church. Thank you for folks who, who joined us in that effort. God, if it was a nickel or it was, was 5,000, Lord, if it was sacrificial, pour your blessings on these folks. And Lord, as we talk about uh, you today, I pray we'd be reminded that we can run to you. You are the God most high. We are your kids and you cannot wait for us to lift our arms and let you pick us up. God, you called us today to rejoice. You called us today from outside to inside so that we could be in your house, so that when we go outside, we're different because we've been inside. How great you are. You are the God most high, and we are children of the God most high. I pray we'd worship you, we would hear you, and we would walk with you because you are worthy of all our praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Then sings my soul.
Y'all have a seat. Thank you, Lee. So today, um, we're going to uh, we're going to tackle a few things that are relatively non-traditional. I know that's shocking to you, uh, but you know I have folks often that will say to me, "You know, Chuck, you don't preach like you're supposed to." Okay. You know, you're, you're supposed to start each point with the same letter or sound. You're supposed to alliterate your sermons. I tried. This brain does not work that way. I can't, I mean, when I sit down, let me just give you a thought. If I give you three or four points and they are alliterated and all make sense and finish up with a poem, here is what you can know. That is not my writing. This brain does not work that way. I think in terms of what is it that God is doing in my heart to the degree that I cannot wait to try to share it, that it might do that in someone else's heart. And it makes no sense. I break every preacher rule known to man to try to convey that. But this week, I have been preaching this to me since Wednesday. And so if you walk out of here and say, wow, that guy can't preach, guilty. But I really want you to grasp this thought. For years around here, I've said, you know what kind of church we are? We're the kind of church that believes the Bible's a big deal, that Jesus is the biggest deal, and that we serve people in need, both here and around the world. And people say, yeah, that's who we are, yeah. You know, and then we'll say, well, what kind of church are you? A Methodist, a Baptist, a Pentecostal, or what are you? We're the kind of church who believes the Bible's a big deal and Jesus is a big deal and we serve people in need here and around the world, yeah. And you know what, I'm so sorry. I am just so stinking sorry. I have tried to tell you what kind of church we're to be, but that was never the intent of the Bible being a big deal, Jesus being the biggest deal, and serving people because of what Christ has done in our heart. Because you see, I am promising you, the world does not need more church to sound like more church, but we do desperately need a handful of men and women that would allow the Word of God become a very big deal in their heart that Jesus might become the biggest deal in their life, and that in their regular comings and goings, they might serve people whether it is something that the church does or not. But that the Bible would become so saturated in our heart and our lives that it would change the nature of our Monday through Saturday. That Jesus might take a point in a position of such priority in our life that Monday through Saturday, we would want to make more decisions and live more like him. And that in our natural comings and goings, in your office, in your boardroom, on the plane you've got to catch, in the design suite, on the car showroom floor, at the job site, at the hospital, wherever you're at, in your natural comings and goings, you would naturally want to serve people. Why? Because the Bible has become a big deal in our life, that Jesus has become the biggest deal in my life, and I don't even know it, but becomes a natural way of life that I just serve people. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, I think it's great. We need people to serve in preschool and children and students and adults. And we, we need greeters and we need ushers and we need all kinds of things. But all of that can go away if these one, this one thing might could happen. That we could take 
and let the Bible become a very big deal in our individual life because I know when that happens, Jesus will become the biggest deal in our life. And as a result of those things, we'll naturally serve people. You got to catch a 6 a.m. flight in the morning and the guy that sits down next to you is gagging for breath because he's run. You can serve that person. That, that flight attendant that's already miserable and tired and exhausted and she's got a 14-hour day ahead of her, you can serve that person. And you say, but is that the same as if I worked down in, in, in the student ministry? Maybe even more important. You say, but Chuck, that doesn't sound like what the church needs. No, but it is what the, the world needs. And you see, when, when we decide that we want to become a radically better us, that desire to become the radically better us will lead us to the belief that if the Bible is what we say it is, it will become a part of becoming the radically better us. We know that the Lord has for us to become. And when we do that, Jesus will come, become the most important thing in our life. And then as a result, we will naturally serve this world. Wouldn't this world be a naturally better place if we decided to become a naturally better us? Well, see, we just really do believe here and I believe this with all my heart. You cannot become the best possible you by trying to become more religious than you are today. It might even keep you from becoming the best possible you by trying to become more religious. If you know somebody and you would describe them as very religious, do not try to be like that. But if you know somebody who is at peace in their life, though their life is hectic, that their life is not perfect, and yet they are still standing on their two feet. That someone that still has hope in their life, but they have gone through misery along the journey. That somehow, someway, that person is connected to a faith that matters. Now we're talking. But you say, well, but Chuck, you know, the church is here to, to help me become religious. Not this one. There are churches all over Gwinnett County that would love for you to become more religious. But what I want you to grasp today is that won't make a better you. But now allowing the presence and the power of God through his word to get into my life every day, and then choosing to let Jesus be at the highest priority in my life will lead me to serve others. And according to that same word of God, when I do that, now God says, not only are you my friend, you are awesome. So if you want to put that on your resume, God said, I'm pretty stinking cool. This is the path. But now watch this. Jesus is who we walk with on the path. Jesus is who we talk with on the path, but don't miss this. Jesus is the path. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus came along, and this is what I love about getting rid of religion and grabbing hold of Jesus. Most everything in this life wants more from you. They want you to spend more. They want you to get up earlier. They want you to learn a new skill. They want you to learn a new task. They want you to become something you're not. They want to add, add, add. And before long, we are just overwhelmed with stuff. I consume more information that I am pretty sure if I would stop trying to consume information and just trying to hear from God, I might be a better me. 
But the fact remains that we are a society that is begging for more from us. Why, if you buy this, you can lose 30 pounds in the next 12 minutes. Let me just stop and say, I've bought it. It doesn't work. Okay, this is a funny story, though. So Jenny and I were, I don't remember where we were at, but there was this Shark Tank show where these girls had this plastic thing that you put your feet on, and you did this. And, that, and the shark girl did it, right? And they sold a bazillion of these things. Okay, now, let me, just, let me just stop for just a minute, which has nothing to do with this sermon. Just stand up with me. Just go ahead, stand up. Come on, it's interactive today, come on. All right, put your right foot on the imaginary thing. Put your left foot on the imaginary thing. Now shake your butt. You just lost 12 pounds. Is that not awesome? I'm telling you, come to church and amazing things happen. The church of miracles thinks you can sit down. Some of you are thinking that's all I stood up for. Yeah. I didn't make the 930 crowd do it because I thought they might die. And I thought, man, that is bad for publicity right there, you know? But I knew you could handle it. Well, except for this little crowd right over here. But, but I don't think Jesus came to ask you for one more thing. I really don't. This is what I love about Jesus. This is what has happened so miraculously in this life right here. I've spent my entire adult life trying to do more, trying to do better, striving to be better, and I have failed so badly. And it, it, it really is annoying to fail. And then Jesus comes along and he says, you know, Chuck, what I said was, if you'll take my yoke, it's light, and it's easy, you can do this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, Jesus, I'm not an oxen. I don't, I don't want to carry a yoke that could look a little freaky in the office. And, and he's, no, 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 yoke is what a rabbi would believe was the fulfillment and the teaching of the law, the Mosaic law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and, and that was a yoke. And, 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 and the rabbis in the time that Jesus walked on the face of this earth and the rabbis had a yoke and it was their belief and, and their extension of their belief of the law. And hence we had 600 plus rules and we had stuff you could do and you couldn't do. And all of a sudden it became terms like religious. You're more religious if you cut your hair this way. You're more religious if you act like that. You're more religious if you dress like that. And you're more religious if you don't do this and if you don't do that. And before long, the yoke got really, really heavy. And before long, we're just like enslaved it's like that sin, that song where we're, we're free from that sin. Why am a child of God? What did it do? It took the chains off my, my arms. It took the shackles off my feet. It took the weight off my shoulders. And he said, all you got to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul and love others as you love yourself. Come take up my yoke. It's light and it's easy. And I'm like, I'm all about that. And then he, then he said, but now watch this, Chuck. If you'll lay some of your junk down, you can grab more firmly to my yoke and it becomes even lighter and even easier. You say, well, well what, are, what are we going to do today? Well, I want to invite you to take a handful of things and wad them up and chuck it. Now, I'm going to invite you to interactive today. So 
we're going to talk about that a little bit. And every time I say, let's just chuck it, I want you to say it with me. So, so here's what we're going to do. So today, we're going to talk about things that we can just chuck it. So what I want you to do is, every time I say, just chuck it, just say it with me. Ready? Just Okay, 930 is a little louder, but we'll work on it. Now, I want to invite you to take five things that I believe we carry it around every single day. And I want to invite you. Here you go. It's a chance for redemption. I want to invite you to just. There you go. See? Now watch how simple it is. Jesus said, get rid of some of this junk so you can lay more firmly a hold of what I have for you. The first thing I want to invite you to do is let go of life-sucking relationships. We all have them, don't we? I mean, literally, like when you see them come up on your phone and it's like. And then others you see come over the phone, it's like, And then there are others, we see them walking toward us, and it's like, I'm some of those for you people. Here's the bad news, you're some of those of mine. We all have life-sucking relationships, don't we? Don't, don't. All of us have people that literally when you're around them, the air is not going into your lungs because they are burning it up. There is no oxygen left. Now, for some of us, that we, we have emotionally exhausting relationships that when I get done with them, they're just like, I mean, I'm gasping for air because emotionally I'm just, okay. They literally took their hand and somehow went into my soul, grabbed it, pulled it out, wadded it up, threw it on the ground, stomped it, ground it up, spit on it, and then said, have a great day. You know what I need to do with that relationship? I need to just, yeah! I have others that are spiritually exhausting. Now watch this. This is about to get intensely real all up in here. You know what can spiritually exhaust you? Somebody who's just really spiritual. Do you all know those folks? Every now and then, I'll get a call from somebody. Pastor Chuck, I, I've got to talk to you now. And I'm thinking, they're dying. So I, man, what can I do for you? I didn't get upgraded on my Delta flight. I've got to go all the way to the West Coast. And spiritually, I'm thinking, you idiot. Suck it up. Maybe you're not supposed to sit there. You're not in charge. He is. Stop it. And you know, let me tell you something. Here's, here's, the, here's a life-sucking relationship. Church people. If you're one of them, just look around. They're everywhere. I'm one of them. I'll never forget. I was about 23 years old. This guy who's a chairman of the deacons where I'm at, my back is to his, his back is to mine, and he's telling a friend of mine, I am telling you, God has told me you and your wife are supposed to teach that young marriage class. And the guy that I knew, I could hear him immediately say, no, we're working in preschool, we're good. It wasn't like a millisecond, same dude turns around, taps me on the shoulder. I turn around and he says, God has told me that you and your wife are supposed to teach that young Mary's class. Now, everything in me wanted to say, no, no, we're good. We're serving in preschool, but I wasn't. 
everything went downhill from there. Because the first thing that went through my mind was, the Lord has told me to knock you out. Don't be laying fake Jesus junk on me. Quit it. Stop it. You know why people don't come to church? Because of Jesus junk. Stop it. I, why not go love Jesus with all your heart and be normal? What a goal. How cool is that? I love Jesus and I'm a cool guy. There's nothing wrong with that. Just go do it. Okay, back to my notes. And then there's folks like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. You know what? I want to lose 100 pounds this week. Year. You'll never make it. They're like Honey Boo Boo and Mama June. And if you don't know that reference, praise Jesus right now. <laughs> when I'm around somebody and I invest my life in any relationship that consistently leads me away from the cross, they will inevitably cost me a pain that I cannot bear. And listen to me, folks. You must learn to guard your soul. Scriptures talk a lot about guarding the heart. Listen, I'm telling you, when it comes to our relationships, you must learn to guard your soul. Listen to what the Scriptures say. Proverbs 27, 6, a dad's writing this as advice to his son. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. He's saying, man, a friend that'll help you and tell you the truth, but their desire is to encourage you and strengthen you. They're different than somebody who's going to flatter you and turn around at lunch and murder you. In Proverbs 13, 20, he says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Ladies, it's just the context in which it was written. You could read it just like this. Whoever walks with wise people will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I don't know about you, but there's enough harm out there waiting to be inflicted on me. Why do I want to add to it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33, Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know how many times a couple sits in my office, they've been married three years, and they got married, one of them didn't know Jesus from apple butter, and somebody looks at me and says, I just knew that I could change them. Let me just give you this heads up. No, you can't. Number one, you can't change them. And number two, only Christ can. So when you make him a big deal in your life, you got a better chance of Christ being able to see in your life to your spouse. And you say, well, Chuck, maybe should we not have gotten married? That would have been a good clue. Bad company corrupts good morals. My, my old ball coach used to say it this way. If you stand in the barn long enough, you're going to come out smelling like it. And you just figure out what the it is, and you're going to come out smelling like it. <laughs> Second Corinthians 6, 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. In other words, listen, there cannot be dark and the light, because light always conquers the dark, and Jesus is the light of the world. So without him at the center of the relationship, it is doomed for failure until the light overcomes the dark. Proverbs 14, 7, leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. 
How many of you right now would say, if I could take a pill tomorrow morning and I could be ultimately more knowledgeable than I am today, how many of you would take the pill? How many of you weren't listening so you don't know why they're raising their hands? Very good. Listen to me. This is what the text is saying. Leave the presence of a fool so that you can discern words of knowledge. Well, listen, I, you say, well, Chuck, okay, I, I, I got that, but, but, but what do you want to tackle next? Okay, you ready? I want you to wad up bitterness and resentment, and I want you to just... Exactly. Chuck that thing, man. You say, well, what's the deal? Listen to me. Here's what I know. I have never seen a person live in joy while hanging on to bitterness and resentment. I've never seen somebody not be able to let go of an offense and still live in victory. But now here's the problem with forgiveness. Somehow, some way in the American church, we turned forgiveness into believing that this is a two-way street. So let me just give you this case in point, all right? Let's just say I go to Justin and he, uh, Justin has, has hurt me because his dad is just like, you know, like Kevin, he's, he's dad. So I go over to Justin and I say, Justin, I am, I, I have hurt you, I've wounded you, I've done, I've been so bad, I am so sorry. And Justin could look back at me and say, for what? Or Justin might look at me and say, I ain't forgiving you, idiot. Or Justin could lie and say, yeah, it's all good. And then, you know, go back and say, wow, Chuck, he's a jerk. But now watch this. Forgiveness is not an action. Forgiveness is an attitude of our heart. And more often than not, forgiveness is a season. And by the way, I can forgive Justin and Justin could forgive me whether each of us receive that or not. You see, I can go to Tal and say, Tal, I am so sorry. And Tal could hold on to that, and, but, but watch this. I gotta worry about, is my heart right in that deal? I've gotta make sure this heart is ready to offer forgiveness. I have couples in my office or people in my office have gone through wicked, horrible, terrible divorce and it's miserable and it's five years later and they are still hung up on what their ex is doing. And what I'll say to them is, have you ever forgiven them? No! Okay, then you're going to wallow in misery for as long as you harbor that bitterness. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Doesn't matter. You have swallowed a poison you intended for them and it is eating you up like a cancer on steroids. Chuck, that's harsh. Listen to what the Savior said. If you want to be forgiven, forgive. He's pretty Waterford crystal clear here on this one. Listen to what the text says, Romans 12, 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So watch this. If somebody is just opening up a full case of haterade on you, give them a donut. <laughs> somebody pops a can of hate on you, buy them a latte. 
somebody tells you you're an idiot, say thank you so much. But Chuck, one of these days, I'm going to get my revenge. I told Jen the other day, I am so embarrassed to admit this to y'all, preachers should never say this stuff. I told Jen about some dude the other day. I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to beat his rear end. And I meant it. I mean, seriously, I thought I'm going to beat his rear end. I'm, I'm going to be walking through downtown Norcross with our little dog, and I'm going to see that guy, and just out of the blue, it's going to be BAM! <laughs> and you're going to see the headlines of pastor in jail for beating somebody's rear end. And you know what you're going to say? That's my pastor. <laughs> You know, the Lord's going to say, you idiot. If you'd have let me done this, he'd have had boils and locusts in his home and his pool would have been filled with earthworms. And I'm like, mm. That was a little out of context, but you know. Luke 6, 35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Isn't that great? Because he's talking about us. Watch this, verse 37. Do not judge others. Oh, I hate that one. I love those love verses. For God so loved the world. Don't judge others. And it gets inside my head and it's like, Lord, I want to. I want to find people who don't think like me and look across the table and say, Hur. and the Lord says, well, watch now, listen to the rest of it. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. This is unbelievable. I want to take all of that bitterness, all that resentment. I want to wad it up, and I want to just... Yeah! I missed it. 9.30 on that one. Third thing I want you to do is I want you to just chuck away all the stuff you think you need. So this week, I told Jen, I'm tackling my closet. I bet y'all are like neat and tidy and orderly in your closet. Like I know some of you guys, like it's by color code and what day you wear it. Just, that's sick. A closet is a place where you just throw junk, you know? But I decided I'm tackling my closet. Two-thirds of my junk I gave away. Two-thirds of my shoes, two-thirds of my britches, two-thirds of my t-shirts, two-thirds of my shirts. What, the last suit I owned, if you die this week, we're in trouble. And so my closet is now like that. Guess what? You never have to overthink what you're going to wear. It's like pants, shirt, britches, good. We're done, right? But now watch this. I'm happier having gotten rid of it. But those boots are sentimental, Chuck. I wore them to my high school prom. <laughs> Sir, there is medication for that. <laughs> but what if you applied that to where you live, how you eat, your entertainment? But now let me just stop and say, if you like buying stuff, knock yourself out. I don't care. Buy all the stuff you want. If you can afford it, buy it. If you can buy a new boat, that's awesome. Ask me and Jenny to go join you. We'll be happy too. You want to buy a new car? Not just go buy it. Get, get all your stuff. But don't let the love of buying the stuff become greater than the love for the one who let you buy it. Because that's when it comes back and bites us. Now, please don't hear me say I've got this one figured out. I love stuff. 
I mean, listen, if Apple makes it, I am relatively sure. You give me about 10 minutes, I can come up with a reason why I need to buy it. Like, do I need an Apple Watch? Heavens no. You know what? A Timex keeps the very same time. But it's just so cool. I'm not about you not buying stuff. I want you to enjoy stuff. Listen, if, if, if you make 120 this year and you can make 180, if you go out and bust it, go bust it. I'm all for you. Go kill it. I mean, wake up tomorrow morning, decide you got to kill your own dinner and eat good. Go for it, right? But make sure that you give room for the Bible to give you direction for Jesus to be the, mo- the, the single greatest thing in your life because when you do, along the way to buying your junk, you're going to want to give some of that away to people in need. I'm all for it. Well, what does the scripture say? Watch this. Luke chapter 12, the gospel writer says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I have never preached a funeral where a kid came up to give a eulogy for their parents and said, let me tell you something. My dad has some great stuff. I always hear stories about, man, my dad, I remember him praying for me. I remember my mom when, when, when she would pray for me. I, I remember when, when I got locked up, I called my folks. I remember that when my boyfriend walked away from me, that's where I went. When my divorce cre- decree hit, that's where I went. When my kid went off the range, that's where I went. I hear those stories. Make sure that our life is not made up of our possessions, but made up of the one who created them. Listen to what the Hebrews writer said. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Listen. I like money too. I want to make more. I wish you guys would pony up. But listen, (laughs) when my love of money is greater than the Savior that lets me earn it, I am not going to enjoy the money I have. Look what it says. And be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Watch this. When you're grateful for what you have, what you have will always be more than enough. But when you're not grateful for what we do have, we never give the divine reason to give us more. Listen to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Isn't that true? Like if I I do a wedding and somebody gives me more than than a chicken dinner, it's like, man, I want to do more weddings. And then you know what happens? I do one and I hate it. And then I'll do a wedding and somebody's like, Pastor Chuck, we're so glad you're here. And I hope you enjoy this $5 Starbucks card. And I'm, I'm like, what? And then every now and then somebody will be like, hey, Pastor Chuck, we know that you took this weekend of your time. It's not part of your job. And here's a really nice gift. And I open up and I call Jenny and we sing. Oh. But guess what? If, if, our, if our heart is bent toward all we want is more than what we have is never going to be enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And this too is meaningless. The fourth thing I want to invite you to do is I want you to wad up and I want you to get rid of envy and comparison. I want you to take envy and comparison, throw them away. I want you to wad them up and just... I missed! Dang it! Kevin, that one's on you. Not really. Okay. hate a litter bug. The fastest way to defeat envy, are you ready? Let's just say your neighbor comes home this evening at 530 
with a brand new Suburban. The black one with the tan leather. It's got the TVs, you know. Got that little disc you can watch live TV. It's got the Wi-Fi thing in it. You know what I mean? They're now like 80 grand. Who knew? And you sit down and you look, you look at your spouse and you say, I know they can't afford that. Two things. One, A, you really don't know that. And B, the root of all envy is comparison. Why do they get to get that and I don't? I don't know. But if you want to beat it, watch this. You go next door, knock on a door, comes the door. I love your new car. Can I sit in your new car? Yeah. Can I crank it up? Yeah. Smells so good. Nobody's had McDonald's and soccer socks in here yet. This is awesome. <laughs> you listen to the stereo. You even make sure you can log on on the Wi-Fi. You step out, hit the button, beep, walk away. You say, I love your car. I'm so happy for you. You go in your garage, close the garage door. You wrap your arms around the hood of your 2002 Jeep Grand Cherokee. And you say, baby, you're paid for. How cool is that, right? That's how you get rid of envy and comparison. Now watch this. When we focus for a millisecond on what somebody else has and why we don't, we just miss the blessing that was designed for us. And we forfeited it to the person we're envious of. Because in that millisecond that your heart said, I deserve that, the Lord said, no, you don't. We, we don't owe you anything. You, you see somebody, why do they make that much more money? I don't know. Don't you, I mean, I, okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands because we're in church and I want you to lie. All right, but, but hadn't there ever been a time that you, you, you looked at somebody and seriously you thought, I want to know why God entrusted those millions to that guy or that lady. You know what I would do if I had those millions? I would be helping hungry kids and I'd be, I'd pay off the church debt and I'd be, and you know what? You know how I can say that? I don't have those millions. But every time we think we know what we would do with what somebody else has, we immediately close the door blessing in our own life. Now you say, well, how do you know that? Because I've lived that. That's how I know that. How come that guy's got a bigger church? How come that guy preaches better? How come that guy, you know why? I don't know. What I do know is this. When we don't run the race that God has for us, we are forfeiting the win, the medal, and the victory. All of it. We just said, who cares? We're not going to run. We're not going to race. I want you to take this and take envy and bitterness and confusion, and I want you to take all the judgment that comes with comparison. I want you to wad it up and just... Yeah. And the last one, I want you to get rid of marginless days. I want you to just chuck all the marginless days. Now, listen to me. You, many of you just chuck, chucked out. Many of you just checked out on me. You said, but Chuck, I have to work 60 hours a week. I have to work 70 hours a week. I got to catch a plane at 5 a.m. I got to give a presentation in Chicago tomorrow. I got to change planes in Salt Lake City and be in L.A. tomorrow night. I don't have time for margin. Margin is not about your geography. Margin is not about your calendar. Margin is about your heart. If anything, listen, I want you to get up tomorrow morning and face your work week and say, I'm going to kill it. 
but I'm going to make sure that there's room for the Word of God to saturate my heart. And the church has told you for 20 years, give your first hour to the Lord. All right, now look at me. Those people aren't doing it either. This is why we created that daily aha. Just get five or 10 minutes. Just read the scripture. Read it on the plane. Read it at the stoplight. Read it in the parking lot at your office. Just let it get in your heart because is it a living and breathing thing that will carve us up and change our nature? And then when the word of God gets in our life, we will find it so easy to put Jesus in the highest priority of our life. And when those two things happen, when you get to the plane, when you get to the office, when you get to the job site, serving people will become your nature. You say, well, Chuck, I... Okay, but I don't think I've got any more room for margin. Listen to me again. There's only one thing required for a margin-filled life. Are you ready? A discipline to determine to be the best you. To build margin in our life is to simply create enough room to hear from God, respond to God, and never stop talking to God. Margin is enough time that while in the car, you have a conversation with the divine. I want us to go to work on margin like a warrior prepares for battle and watch how you can literally feel the presence of the divine as he walks in and through and around you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But watch this, the path that you walk on with him, you are walking on the path. He is the way, not just a way, not just a path. He is the path. We're a piled-on, stretched-to-the-limit society. We are chronically stressed, chronically filled with anxiety, chronically late, chronically exhausted. When is the last time you asked somebody, how are you doing? And at some point, the conversation wasn't, oh, I'm so tired. We sound like Job from the Old Testament where he said, I have no peace, I have no quiet, I have no rest, and trouble keeps coming. But you see, when we're... When we leave room to let the Word of God become a big deal, Jesus will become the biggest deal. And we'll serve other people because all of a sudden we will have the time to be still and know that God is God and we are not. My friend, I want to invite you to wad these things up. And I want you to just... But I want you to... Because I, I know the world doesn't need more Sugar Hill Church. The world doesn't need more North Points. The world doesn't need more Gwinnett's. The world doesn't need more Shadow Brooks. The, the world needs a handful of men and women that would say, the Bible has become a very big deal in my life. To the degree that Jesus has become the single biggest deal in my life. And as a result, I find it so fun and refreshing to pray for you, to serve you, to love you without condemnation, to accept you without judgment, to let God deal with all that stuff I don't understand. And in that margin and in that space, be able to recognize that Jesus came to give us his broken body and his shed blood. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.